Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to this week's Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki. John Mitchell is not with us this week, but I have two special guests from the Saturday Blitz website. We have Richard Kimball and Shelby War, uh, who are both here to... Uh, offer some of their fan perspectives, and then we're going to be going into a fun little what-if question for our second segment this week. Before I dive into uh, college football questions, though, I've just got to throw out there, first of all, thanks for to both of you for being on, and, uh, you know, how are things going for you generally in the world? John and I always talk about how uh, things have been going in the midst of this pandemic and having to stay at home and whatnot, so... What have been your experiences at this time? I have a younger sister with autism, so that has been a fun time. She doesn't understand all of this. So to her, it's, well, why aren't we going anywhere? Why can't we go to Chuck E. Cheese? Why can't we go to Six Flags? Why can't we? I don't like the sickness. It's dumb. I don't want to do schoolwork. I don't like this. And I'm like, well, you know, no one else does. Yeah, it's definitely tough in terms, you know, especially you know, in that situation, I definitely have had extended family members in similar situations. And I, I feel for you in that regard. How about you, Richard? How is uh how have circumstances been for you? Yeah, for me, I have uh I have two boys, one's four and one's ten months old now. And then my girlfriend has a daughter who's two. So it's been nice. You know, all the extra time we'd be able to small them and making memories and stuff. But, you know, we have our days in which we're kind of like, you know, reaching out to grandparents and, you know, trying to, you know, find our little escapes because, you know, it's different for us because we're used to going to work. But it's definitely, we've made the most of it. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, you know, all I have is a dog at home and she's really happy that I'm here and um, until she realizes that it doesn't mean she just gets to go for walks into the park all the time. Uh, but yeah, I can, I, I can only imagine what it's like actually having young children. Uh, my sister is a two-year-old, uh, just turned two earlier last week in Portland. And yeah, it, what a spitfire. So, you know, I hope you can find as much peace as possible. <laughs> well, let's dive into some questions. You know, we like to play a little game, you know, getting to know the guests when we have on new uh, new folks on the podcast. And these are some questions that John and I talked about when we first started up this podcast last year. So we'd love to get your perspectives on this. First thing I'd love to know from both of you and I, uh, Either one of you can go first, but what's the greatest win you've ever experienced as a fan? You have to have been there. That's the question. No, no. Greatest greatest win, you know, whether you saw it on television and were celebrating with family or friends at home, or if you were actually at the stadium, pretty much anything goes. It's like at the stadium, 2015 A&M and Tennessee. No questions asked. Double overtime. Armani Watts' interception in the end zone. No questions asked. But ever, ever, ever is seven overtimes with LSU. Oh, man. That was a hell of a game. I, I, you know, by the end of it, everybody and their mom seemed gassed. So. Oh, we were. And they were like, we could play eight more overtimes. I'm like, no, you couldn't. Don't lie. No, you couldn't. (laughs) Yeah, that just seems miserable. And uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, mercifully it finally ended, but, you know. I was almost asleep at the very end, and I heard Courtney Davis touchdown, and I was like, wait a second. And my mathematic brain, wait a second, if we just scored, that would mean, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, I can't do this. I wanted to go to bed. I had accepted that we had lost again. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's one of those pulling victory from the jaws of defeat moments for sure. Um, how about you, Richard? What was what was your greatest win you ever experienced? Um, uh, well, I'm a I'm big Penn State fan. So 2016 went over Ohio State, blocked field goal by Marcus Allen, returned by Grant Haley. I was by myself at home watching it with my two dogs. So I was I was going as loud as I can be. My dad's an Ohio State fan, so we had been texting the entire game, and he'd be being like, oh, man, we just caught a break. And then after that field goal, I didn't hear anything from him for, like, two days. So it was pretty great, you know, with everything going on. And you know, what's funny, though, is actually I know Shelby's an A&M fan. I went to Blinn my freshman year, and that was the year Johnny Menzel was uh, won the yep. Heisman. Well, I was – I lived in College Station, though, a mile from Kyle Field, and when they beat Alabama, obviously it was on the road, that town went crazy. I mean, oh, I didn't... We lost it. Go out. It was it was amazing, though. It was a, that was being in a college town like that, was it was a great experience. Yeah, it, you know, it's always ridiculous when you actually get to, to be in that environment in the moment. Um, yeah, you know, I lived in Eugene for years, and now I'm actually in State College, uh, just a, about a mile from Beaver Stadium. So I've certainly heard I'm that. Jealous. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, you know, obviously the wins are fun, but, you know, as fans, if you're a fan of this sport long enough, you're also going to experience heartbreak. So I hate to do it to each of you, but what was the most painful loss you've yet experienced as a fan? I think I have two. Again, the LSU loss for 2012 for Johnny Menzel. That one killed me. And then 2014 was the 59-0 to loss to Alabama. After two years of Johnny Menzel, after two years of one win and one extremely close, and then to get blown out, it just was demoralizing. You're like, well... And we just gave this man a contract extension. Yeah. And then you have that regression right back to the mean. And uh, yeah, because that was right as Texas A&M was starting to get into the SEC as well. So you first see them, you know, you saw the same thing with Missouri as well. There was kind of that honeymoon blip where the teams had this, this real relevance. And then you get the sobering reality of, we're in the SEC. This isn't a guarantee every year sort of thing. And that, that it, it's a tough wake up call for sure. I can, you know, you I don't get a Johnny Menzel every year. Yeah, exactly. You know, very few schools get that opportunity to have that sort of transcendent Heisman level talent. Well, I'll throw it your way, Richard. How about the pain? Um, the pain. So I've suffered a lot of pain recently. You know, last, you know, three years, we've lost Ohio State close. And, you know, in 17 and 18, we lost to them and Michigan State back-to-back weeks by like a combined point of like 10. So that's been rough. But ultimately, I was a kid. 2005, Penn State's undefeated. 
We lost to Michigan. Uh, originally, you know, Lloyd Carr had argued with the refs saying, hey, we need to put more points on the, I mean, more uh, seconds on the board. Ended up happening, and then they ended up scoring as time expired, probably because they got the extra time. And had we won that game, we would have, you know, put on to be undefeated. And that's the same year that, you know, USC and Texas played for the Rose, in the Rose Bowl. Everyone knows that game. So it's painful because that's probably the closest, you know, I would really feel we came to a national championship in my lifetime. Um, so uh, it's definitely it – always, it always burns whenever I look back at it. So. I understand, and usually it's when the stakes are highest like that that the pain hurts most. Um, you know, I had that as a 13-year-old, right before my 14th birthday in 1996 when Wyoming was 9-0 and and then loses on the road to San Diego State and kind of blemishes their perfect season. As a result, they don't even go to a bowl game. They're a 10-win team that didn't even go bowling that year, so... I understand pain, believe me. <laughs> well, let's shift gears to some, you know, some happier thoughts because we, we've done enough soul searching there. Um, what is the greatest bowl game that you remember watching, whether your team was in it or not? That's uh, Johnny Menzel, 2013 versus Duke. Oh, yeah, that was a good game. I do remember that. Um, that oh, I can't remember what bowl game it was though. In the Chick Fil A bowl, Chick Fil A bowl. Okay, yep. Before it became the Peach Bowl again. So yes. that one, I just remember sitting there and I was like, "We're gonna lose. We're, we've come all this way and we're gonna lose to Duke. We almost beat Alabama and we're gonna lose to Duke." And then Johnny pulled out the Johnny Magic, and I was like, "All right, okay. I will no longer question Johnny Benzel and Mike Evans. Thank you." And, and they both all, left us. Yep, and then you know all was right in the well in the world for that moment, and then unfortunately, just like every other player at this level, they go on far too soon. <laughs> well, and I'm I'm a huge believer. Like as much as I love Johnny, Mike Evans is my boy, and I'm like so proud of how far he's come and how great he's been. I'm like, okay, maybe he let when his leaving was okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you got to look at the positives for the people that you loved while they were there, for sure. How about you, Richard? Best bowl game you've ever, you remember getting to see? Oh, well, you know, I feel like the 05 Rose Bowl is kind of overplayed. I would have to say that one, but I'm going to, everyone knows about that. Probably the greatest game ever really played, you know, in terms of championship levels. Uh, I'm going to go to the 07 Fiesta Bowl between Oklahoma and Boise State. I've always been a kind of homer for Boise State. Um, I think they're kind of that one team that's really, you know, any, you know, group of five team owes thanks to for kind of, you know, bringing relevance once again, you know, consistently instead of just those one hit wonders. Um, the trick plays at the end of the game. I mean, Statue of Liberty is always going to be immortalized and highlight the game, but the hook and lateral you know, it's time it's on fourth down, nonetheless, you know, for them to, you know, tie the game at the end of regulation, surprising it go for two there. But, you know, what sticks out to most to me is, you know, in overtime, the Sooners scored on the first play, 25 yard rush by, you know, Adrian Peterson. And I was like, wow, well, I guess that's it. Yeah. It, it, you know, you're, you're speaking right to my heart as somebody that writes about the group of five extensively and, and grew up in, 
the old whack territory before it was even the Mountain West. So that game, you know, I, I'm working on a book about BCS busters right now. And that game, it really did it, it. You know, as much as Utah's trip to the Fiesta Bowl two years earlier, you know, kind of cracked the nut in terms of non-AQ schools being able to go into BCS Bowls, that Fiesta Bowl with Boise State is the one that really changed national perceptions. U- Utah beating the hell out of Pitt only goes so far but right. but Boise State taking down a Sooners team that features Adrian Peterson and the rest of that talent uh it, it's a completely different level I I think so that's definitely a game that's on my short list as well I I'm totally with you there well you know, before we move on to our, our break here, I got just a couple more questions for you. First of all, you know, it's fun to get to watch football however you can, right? But there's just something different about it in person. So, um, you know, what is the one stadium you have not been to yet that you really want to see a college football game at? Brian Denny. I really want to see how those fans react to things because they're so used to winning. Mm. So I'd rather go when they're losing. Ah, I I, I want to see, I just want to see how that works because Alabama fans, they don't function with losing. You know, I think that's a fair point. And uh, as much as John might hate to admit it, if he was here talking with us today, uh, I think as an Alabama fan, he would definitely acknowledge that they've gotten used to the winning at this point. So that, you know, just in general, it's always a great environment, but that would be an interesting moment in time to see a game there. So I love that pick. How about you, Richard? Well, I've never been to one yet, so I'd have to say Beaver Stadium, specifically a wideout. I have not been, and that's obviously on the bucket list, hopefully multiple games there. Uh, just the specifically with the wideout, the atmosphere, being on the night, everyone's wearing white. You got Zombie Nation playing. We are champs going. It's loud. I mean, last year we made Michigan, you know, delay of game on the very first play of the, you know, play of the game. And so, and being that I've been to a couple games at Kyle Field, and that's usually, you know, the epitome, you know, down south compared to, you know, Beaver Stadium. I was like, man, like, and no, no dog in A&M and A&M in the 12th, you know, the 12th man. But I'm like, man, if it's loud here, just imagine, you know, going up there and what that what that's like and everything, especially if you're playing Ohio State or Michigan or even Michigan State. So Kyle Field gets loud. I personally have been there through some of the loudest moments and I couldn't like I couldn't imagine my college career anywhere else. See, I was at, you know, I was in Eugene during the Chip Kelly era going to games at Austin regularly. And it, oh, man. for a 50, you know, for a 55, whatever thousand seat stadium, that place is designed to get loud. Like they designed it acoustically to be ridiculous. And, you know, I, even, even saying that I can't even imagine what added twice as many people to that that crowd would do and that's exactly what you get at at Kyle Field and Beaver Stadium I I hate to admit it because like I said I'm a mile mile and a half down the road from Beaver Stadium but I haven't been to a game there yet 
since uh, moving here last August. And I'm with you. It's definitely one of those on my my bucket list as well. Mm. Well, before we go to break, one last question for you all. You know, kind of looking back, we have formative, you know, events in our, you know, as we develop as fans in our early childhoods, we first start getting hooked at this sport. And part of that is just, you know, having a favorite player, somebody who just kind of captivates you. And I'm curious, who's that first favorite player that you guys remember as fans? Oh, mine's easy. And mine is the epitome of an A&M fan, but mine's Johnny Menzel. I remember because I was not into sports. I was never that person. And then my junior year of high school, I decided I was going to A&M. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. I'm going to do it. And I was like, you know what? We're going to beat Alabama. And I was at musical theater rehearsal. And every single boy in musical theater was like, Shelby, let's have a conversation about how football works. Because Shelby, you're not going to beat Alabama. And Johnny Menzel pulled out all the stops and beat Alabama for me. And I got to go back to rehearsal the next day and said, hey, guess who was right? That I, I never. Oh, I love him for that. Yeah, those I told you so definitely helped sell a player for sure. <laughs> girl, it, it. That's awesome. I, I, I told you so a boy is always good. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, for somebody who, who that was the person who helped hook them into the sport. I mean, hell you're writing about it now for, for, for the, for the country. So it's great to see. Um, I love that. That was the, that, that entry point. Cause again, what a hell of a player. All right. Last question for you, Richard, who's that favorite player for you? Um, a non-homer answer, Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush was just one of those players I remember as a kid. You know, I, that's in the midst of me coming into my, I guess, athletic abilities and playing video games and watching college football and just watching someone like that just take over the field, almost kind of like what we were able to see, you know, like, you know, Saquon Barkley and DeAndre. So those kind of running backs that kind of can do it both ways. But back then, it wasn't really common, but, you know, Reggie Bush was able to passing game and uh you know obviously rushing i remember against fresno state running down the sideline how he would just stopped and then cut up field i was like you know not that's very hard to do i remember i went out there and was trying to do it trying to do it uh i actually in a flag football game ended up tweaking my ankle i rolled my ankle trying to do that didn't even need to i was just like you know what i'm just gonna try this out and didn't really work well for me so um but aside from that homer i gotta go michael robinson quarterback at Penn State he's 05 and everything so but yeah Reggie Bush is definitely that guy for me you know Reggie Bush when he was able to do stuff like that I think the only other person who could pull off some of his moves were Bo Jackson back in Tech Mobile so some things that these athletes do they're just so out of the realm of human possibility and Reggie Bush definitely personified some of that. Honestly, Johnny Manziel as well, because you look at some of his escapes and it's that exact same thing. I, I can't even begin to imagine pulling off moves like that. Can, well, can I, can I ask a quick question? 
to yeah, kind of sidebar for that, if you don't mind. Of course. What's y'all's least favorite player? Ooh. Do you have a player? Oh, God. Anybody that plays for Texas? <laughs> uh, it's the Aggie home answer. I can't. There are, And there are probably a couple that just rub me the wrong way especially those commitments that like were super Aggie homers and then decided they were going to Texas and switched like that. And you're like, Oh, so now you're that asshole. Okay. Now you've got the, I hate A&M logo kind of thing going for you, even though we're the one that puts you on the map, but that's fine. If there happens to be one on our roster right now, his name is Leon O'Neal, and I can't decide if I like him or not. He's that very active on Twitter. Way too much shit and does not back it up on the field, and he hasn't yet. And I'm waiting for the day that maybe either he gets the shit knocked out of him or he realizes that he can't talk shit until he can back it up. But until that day comes right now, me and Leon are not friends. Oh, man. That's, you know, that's a tough question. I, I've definitely mellowed since I started writing about sports, but if I look back, I'd have to, uh, honestly, one that always got my goat back when I was living in Wyoming and a teenager growing up there was Bo Morgan, the quarterback for Air Force. I just, uh, there was something about the way he always came out big in, in games where I didn't want to see it happen. That it, it's a random name from the past, and it just throws me off. And then I also think about, um, oh god, you know, you mentioned like, uh, you know, I, I there's so many that I hate, I, but that'd probably be the one that just like sparks right to me. Bo Morgan, Air Force, random blast from the past. And even just thinking about his name, I'm, I'm getting a little frustrated visualizing things. So My, mine's more of a uh, group group answer here. Mine's just any Ohio State quarterback uh, of, of recent, you know, JT Barrett, Terrell Pryor, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, Cardell Jones, mainly because of the dual threat ability. And I feel like some of those guys were, they were good college quarterbacks. Obviously they didn't really translate to the NFL, but being Penn State, I mean, obviously we had Trace McSorley that kind of developed, you know, he was a running mobile quarterback, but we had Christian Hackenberg and Anthony Morelli and Zach Mills. And like, we didn't have these guys that could, you know, dual threat. And so I feel like, in these games, you know, it'd be like third and 11. I'm like, all right, we're going to sack them. And next thing you know, picking up with their feet. So, especially with me and my dad always watching the games, the Ohio State quarterbacks from probably 2010 to probably on the top of my list of made college football very heartbreaking for me. Yeah, no, that's, you know, I think that's a fair choice. Like I look at players from the past, like, uh, you know, as a duck, I think about guys like Jaquiz Rogers, guys like that were just the thorn in your side. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's those thorn in the side players that get me the most because I, I, I have to acknowledge how damn good they are, but I don't want to. Right. <laughs> I don't want to, but I'm, I have to. I mean, they're damn good. And it, it's precisely because they're good that I hate you. So I was uh, that way with Colt McCoy. Yeah. And that's oh, it. Yeah. 
yeah, that's another great one on that list, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, that's nothing. I remember I went to the A&M UT baseball game and he came out and they're like, this is the quarterback for the Washington Redskins. And I was like the third string quarterback for the Washington Redskins. Let's go ahead and make sure that one's clear. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And, and that's the beauty as a, a fan. You gotta, you gotta. And of course it. they turn around and they're like, well, what's Johnny Menzel doing? I'm like, yeah, but I never claimed that Johnny Menzel was doing anything. That's the difference. Y'all are sitting here claiming that Colt McCoy is doing things and it's not true. Yep. <laughs> I've acknowledged that, that Johnny Menzel needs some help. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and you could say, you know, at the very least he's, uh, He's he's at home cuddling his Heisman. So <laughs> he's where's Colt Heisman? His family makes lots of money. He's just fine. I promise. He does not Both need jumping. it. Pity. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? Thank you so much for for diving in and sharing a bit of yourselves. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. When we come back, we're going to go into the past and have a little bit of a thought experiment. Let's play What If after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break, everybody, to the Saturday Blitz podcast. I'm here with Shelby War and Richard Kimball, our guest this week with John Out. Um, we just got to know our guests a little bit in our previous segment. And now uh, we're going to do a little bit of a thought experiment. I posed a question to these guys before they came on for them to think about, and you know, if we had a time machine and you could go back into any season of college football history and watch the entire season in its entirety, which one would you pick and why? So, you know, Shelby let off a lot of our answers last time. So I'm going to throw this one to Richard first. Well, you know, I just kind of really two answers. One is as a fan, 86 Penn, Penn State season, you know, national championship, first one undefeated. As a Penn State fan, we had multiple years we'd go undefeated and we wouldn't get a national championship due to whatever, you know, whether it be the Bowl Coalition or Richard Nixon, you know, you know, knowing. I actually just wrote a piece for Fansided and I was like, you know, found this quote where Patrona was like, it's funny that he knows more about college football and not Watergate scandal. So those are hard, but honestly, I would want to relive another season and that's 2007. 2007 was the craziest now, it wasn't that great for Penn State, but overall, as a football fan, I mean, it started off with Appalachian State beating Michigan. Um, you know, uh, the number two seed in AP poll was defeated, you know, seven times in the final nine weeks in the regular season. Three of those times, both the one and the two seed loss. And what's crazy is, like, South Florida, Boston College, and Kansas were ranked number two at one point. And I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me really is the final week of the season, Missouri, number one, loses uh, to Oklahoma, and uh, West Virginia uh, loses in the Big East um, title game. Those were one and two, and giving LSU and Ohio State the berth to play in the national championship game. So it was one of the fact that this Kansas itself was number two, I think, says enough about that season, but it it was wild. I was in eighth grade when it was going on, so that's when I was at peak level finally paying attention to everything going on and just looking at the AP rankings, you know, throughout over the season now and up and downs of all these teams, even Oregon state made the top 25. So 
very – I believe that also might be the year that Hawaii um, – I think that was the year Hawaii went undefeated. Um, but actually, Kansas finished with the best record. Uh, they only well, – the one-loss team because LSU had two losses and so did the Buckeyes. So, crazy season in 2007. Yeah, I, I love that pick. I've written about that season in the past. It's – um you know, just the utter chaos of it all. It, it was a heartbreaker for me as a Ducks fan, as somebody living in Eugene, watching Dennis Dixon go down when the Ducks were in one of those top two positions. But, you know, from start to finish, I I, I think you have few seasons that were quite as chaotic as that one. So I'm with you. I'd love to go back and watch it again. I, uh, you know, the weekend before the season started, I was actually in Wisconsin for a a family party right after my wife and I got married. And so, you know, that season really holds, you know, a special place in my heart as well. How about you, Shelby? What would you pick as your season to reflect back on? Mine's obviously 2012. I can't, I can't, uh, stress enough how much that season changed the way I looked at football. I remember staying up late to watch the championship and watching Notre Dame get pummeled. Oh, it was sad. But I remember like our opening loss to Florida and everybody being like, oh, well, the Aggies don't belong in the SEC. And I'm like, well, if we would have opened with Louisiana Tech like we were supposed to, we may have beat Florida. But that's a bunch of what ifs. But that whole season of beating Auburn at Auburn, beating Alabama at Alabama, beating Mississippi State at Mississippi State, beating Oklahoma, being like, oh, by the way, we left the Big 12, but you stuck us a Big 12 opponent right there at the end of the season for the bowl game, and guess what? We beat the living crap out of them, too. Like, I – 2012 got me hooked on Aggie football, and I will never be able to repay – all the memories that I've gotten out of Aggie football since 2012. And I've always been the friend now that's like, you know, way too much about this team. Like you have, I, I tell Connor all the time, like I can write about the Aggies. I can write about the Aggies in my sleep. I know about these boys way too much. That's- but that season, man, I just, I could relive it over and over, including the LSU loss. No matter how much it hurts, I'll, I, I could rewatch the LSU loss if that means I get to beat Bama again. You know, that's a good trade-off. It, uh, like, honestly, you know, like looking at that season in its totality, uh, you know, having a little bit of that crow definitely helps, uh, you know, make the victories all that much sweeter. I'm going to throw a real... Florida, you never know what could have happened. It's true, yeah. That I mean, one lost team with a win over Alabama. It, it, you had a real case. It, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, there's definitely a case there to be made so it's a fun what if to think about for sure do we get the spot against Notre Dame against us because we have the tiebreaker between Alabama and us is that how that works you know I think it's interesting to look at but yeah I think it very well could have played out that way so man Johnny Manziel and championship whoo the Aggies would have never shut up no, it, it, I, I, yeah, it might have been good for you in the long run, Shelby. <laughs> and good for all of us as well. The Aggies oh. will never get a championship. I've made the 
I've already told all my friends that the second the Aggies win a championship, I will get the A&M logo tattooed on my butt like a Care Bear. And because I know it will never happen. <laughs> it, it, it's, on, it, it, it's on recording now, everybody. So there you go. I know it will never happen. And that's sad. Like, that's a horrible fan thing to say, but I just don't have faith right now. You know, that's a confident lack of confidence there, I'll say. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than disappointed. It, it's, it's a great perspective to take. You know, pleasant surprise is always nice. Before we go, I want to throw my choice out to you guys and see what you think. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm a sport historian, so I went way back in time. Uh, just a little less than 100 years back in time. The season... I would want to go see is 1921. Let me tell you why. So at the end of the season, six different teams had a claim to the national championship, you know, under some official NCAA selector. Four of them actually claimed the championship. But, you know, this was a year where California went 9-0-1 under Andy Smith. Washington and Jefferson went 10-0-1 under Gracie Neal in his first season there. Their only tie was against each other in a scoreless Rose Bowl. You had Cornell finishing 8-0 under former Washington coach Gil Doey. This team outscored opponents 392-21. to You had Iowa, who won the Big Ten at 7-0 under future Alabama coach Howard Jones. Uh, this included a 10-7 upset against a Notre Dame team that was, you know, this was really the first year that Notre Dame built a pass first attack you know it was really a a, a a prototype for the pass happy game we know today and Iowa was able to take them down at home you had Lafayette who was coached by Jock Sutherland at the time they won a perfect nine and oh only allowed 26 points along the way and then you have Vanderbilt who is in the it's the last year of the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference before you know, as teams defect to the Southern Conference. And they go 7-0-1. Oh, uh, they tie Georgia, so the two teams split the conference title. But, you know, they're there with Dan McGugan, and then you have another future great coach, Wallace Wade, is his assistant in his first year there at Vanderbilt. Um, so Cal, Cornell, Iowa, and Lafayette all claim the national title this year. And if nothing else, I want to go back and watch this entire season just so that I can say which one of these six teams is actually the best. Yeah, I think I think when you look at it on paper, the Iowa upset one of Notre Dame and just that value of it kind of makes it stick out, um, especially, you know, knowing what Notre Dame is, you know, especially over the years. I mean, as of late, I mean, they're kind of, I want to say mediocre, but I don't want to start anything. But, um, you know, back then, I mean, I mean, that, that's one of the schools that sticks out from that era whenever you think about, you know, college football. And, um, you know, back then, that's when the Ivy League schools, you know, participated in. You know, when you look this up, I when you said that, I started doing some, you know, research for myself just now. And um, I remember I had this big encyclopedia. Um, of college football and I would go through it and one of the games I always would refer to is like oh did you know this was uh, uh when Central College upset Harvard six to zero which is 
it, an Ivy, we want to talk about nerdy Ivy League things. It's called, you know, the impossible formula because the scoreboard read C6HO and H0. And it was just this big upset and kind of, you know, you know, the students were great and, you know, they were excited. But yeah, that I, it would be interesting. I've never always wondered, wondered what it would be like, you know, without the helmets and without the pads and all this kind of a lot of no names really playing the sport. So. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the praying kernels as well, because that's a fun little, you know, tidbit from that season as well. That's, that, that upset was never supposed to happen, but Bo McMillan, what a hell of a player for center. And uh, yeah, just all around, I'm a sucker for history. So if I could go watch three yards in a cloud of dust wearing a fedora out there, that'd be awesome. Well, any, you know, I, any final thoughts that you all want to throw out there? Um, I'm missing sports and I'm hoping college football saves it for me. You know, I'm big into basketball and I like going to baseball games and it's been kind of empty without it. So I've found myself on YouTube watching a lot of college football highlights, even pro football highlights, but I am looking forward this, you know, end of August, beginning of September, just something, you know, I mean, I personally probably won't be going to a lot of games this year, but I would prefer fans to be there. But as long as it's on my TV, I am not going mean, not going to be worried about it. I'm one of those people that will have it on my TV, my phone, you know, my laptop, my tablet. I got it all going. I got like four or five games going and I am, I am definitely, um, you know, missing college football right now. So I can't wait for it to be back. Same. I need something, especially because like on my entire timeline is A&M and UT fans going at it because we didn't get the chance to play the baseball game that is supposed to be our thing. So because Corona decided we don't need baseball. So we need something. Even though we won't be playing head to head, but that's a whole nother argument for a whole nother day. I hear you. You know, I, I, I'm absolutely with you there. I, more than anything, I, I love football. I love sports. I, I'm in school to teach the history of sports. I write about it religiously online. I, you know, as much as I've probably sounded like a pessimist about everything that's going on, I sure as hell want the season to come back. And I'd love for it to look as normal as possible. But, you know, as somebody who's also a soccer fan, I've been watching some of the German league matches recently in the Bundesliga. And, you know, it's weird seeing a match with a completely empty stadium and listening to sounds echo around. But at the same time, if it, you know, if it's an option of that or nothing, I will gladly take that, even if it doesn't quite feel like the college football I know. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel what you're saying there. I remember watching the UFC fight a few weeks ago, and that was, it was weird. It was really weird, you know, not having the crowd into it on the big hits. And, you know, I'm just like, man, now the commentators, they can be heard now, right, by the, you know, by by the, the fighters. And I'm like, it's awkward. It was kind of awkward watching it because you can hear everything, the yelling from the coaches on the side. And, you know, I was like, man, I would just – I think this is an opportunity, though, for UFC to step up and be like, all right, let's get McGregor versus someone in there and just have them talk a bunch of smack now that we can actually hear what they're saying. And, 
Um, but yeah, definitely as normal as possible for college football would be great, but I would just, I'm really down for anything. Yeah. Anything is better than nothing at this point. And I think sports fans around the globe are understanding that and recognizing that even if they're forced to stay away from the stadium or only a few people at a time are allowed in, we'll take what we can get. Well, thank you so much to both of you for, for being here with me this week. It was such a pleasure. Um, all of you out there, be sure to uh, check out Richard's work and Shelby's work at Saturday Blitz. It's always a pleasure getting to, uh, to read your articles there. And it was a great pleasure to get to talk to you both today. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with you next Wednesday with our next edition of the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. 